Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. For you, the listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, with a free 30-day trial of Audible, you can get my new book, The Other Side of Beauty, read to you by yours truly for free. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. Audible is Amazon's audio bookstore and it has over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from. And so if you're like me and you like to listen to books while you travel, exercise, or cook, this is perfect for you. To get my audiobook for free, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. That's audibletrial.com slash Darrow, and you're in. The Do Something Beautiful podcast is also brought to you by Haiti 180. If you want to do something beautiful in the world, but find yourself busy, possibly overwhelmed with life, family, or work, but you still want to donate money for a good cause, you can still do something beautiful by becoming a Team 180 member. Haiti 180 provides an orphanage for 40 children, two elderly homes, a school for over 200 students, and a medical clinic in a small village in the hills of Haiti. Now, many of the listeners of this podcast have generously donated over $26,000 to build the maternity wing of the new hospital. And for as little as $15 a month, you can sponsor an orphan. That's 50 cents a day, people, 50 cents a day to help a little boy or a little girl have a good and just life. I've been there. I have seen their good works and I continue to give them my time, talent and treasure. And I'm asking you to do the same. Go to Haiti180.com and do something beautiful with me. That's Haiti180.com. Hey there, Do Something Beautiful podcast listeners. That's a long line, isn't there? Anyways, how you doing? I hope you're doing well. Today we get to chat with, I get to chat with Jeannie Mancini. Jeannie is the president of the March for Life. So it's the March for Life in Washington, D.C. And I get to chat with her about the march itself, about the pro-life movement. This woman is is just chock full of information, rightly so. I mean, she holds an undergraduate degree in psychology from James Madison University, a master's in theology of marriage and family from Pope John Paul II Institute. She is definitely the real deal. Now, Jeannie, if you're familiar with the March for Life, Jeannie has made frequent media appearances on MSNBC, CNN, Fox, ABC, CBS, just a ton, a ton. Her writings have have appeared in the New York Times, US News and World Report, uh, USA Today, Washington Post. It goes on and on. She is definitely a role model for many women, especially in the pro-life arena. And so we get to talk with her today and she gets to share a little bit of the vision of the March for Life of what's going on with that. It's connection or... (laughs) ironic connection to the Women's March. We're going to talk a little bit about that and even a little bit of the March for Our Lives, which, which is, is, is very, very new and up and coming about school safety and the mass shootings that have been happening and how all of these kind of ironically point back to the March for Life. It is a really good conversation. Like I said before, Jeannie is, is fantastic in how she presents life, life issues, the history of what's going on this past March itself in 2018 
marked the 45th year of the march. And so we talk a little bit about that and some of the historic things that happened for the first time ever at that march, people who spoke, things that happened. And so it's really great. The show notes is going to be really important, I think, for this episode in particular. You know, if you're wanting to get involved in the pro-life arena in some way, then check out the show notes. There's going to be a lot there. We're going to obviously connect you to the March for Life and all of their websites to keep you involved. But at the very end, Jeannie gives a challenge that's really important. And so make sure you listen. And I, I'm begging you, please do this. It is so important that we, and it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy. You take out your phone. It's going to be so, so quick, but it's really, really great. So she gives a lot of great information there. And then there's a lot of other information that she gives for resources, especially in terms of dealing with an abortion and also information on pro-life laws and these issues. So all of that's going to be in the show notes. And so it's going to be really, really great for you to take that information and just look through it when you get it, when you get some time. So once again, without further ado, here is Jeannie Mancini. All right, friends, welcome back to the podcast and welcome to Jeannie Mancini. How you doing, Jeannie? Doing well. Thanks, Leah, for having me on. We are so excited to talk to you today. So excited. I've already prepped you to everybody in my introduction, but... So you are, you're the head, you're the president, is that what you call it, of the March for Life, correct? That's right. Yes, yes. I have the honor and the, and sometimes the burden too, of heading a small little nonprofit organization that organizes the world's largest annual human rights demonstration, which of course is demonstrating against abortion, which is the single largest social justice issue, largest human rights issue in our world today. Amen. Amen. I love it. And people, I mean, if you're unfamiliar with this, I don't know where you've been, but you're, I don't know, but hey, we're going to get some great information from Jeannie today, but you can also go and grab information. And we'll mention this throughout the podcast multiple times and on the show notes, but marchforlife.org is the website you want to go to. And that's where you can get all of your information about uh, the upcoming March that's always held in January every single year, but also the marches that are local in your city, in your state that you can be a part of. So before we kind of get into all of that stuff, let's start back in the beginning. Like, how did the March for Life begin? Now, this is 45 years in the making. Is that correct? That's right. We just had our 45th annual March for Life. So 45 years ago, on January 22nd, 1973, seven men on the United States Supreme Court handed a decision to our country that would forever change history with Roe versus Wade and the expansion of abortion to all 50 states. Hmm. So the following year, fearing that that date, January 22nd, would come and go without public acknowledgement, Nellie Gray, the founder of the March for Life, who then worked for the government, she was an attorney working for the government, and a handful of others who were appalled by the human rights abuse of abortion, organized a march in Washington, D.C., uniting, educating, and mobilizing some 2,000 pro-life people in the public square right on the steps of the Capitol. And so that marked the very first March for Life. Interestingly, they fully anticipated, Leah, that there would be two, maybe three marches, but they thought that Roe would be corrected because everyone knew at that time, not so popularly known now, that Roe was a decision of judicial activism outside of the parameters of what the Supreme Court is typically called to do, which is to interpret the Constitution, not to legislate outside of the Constitution. And even 
Ruth Ginsburg, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has said that, that it was a decision of judicial activism outside of the parameters of what the court should do. And so everybody thought that that would be corrected shortly within a few years. And no one anticipated that here, 45 years later, we would still have that law, Roe versus Wade and Doe v. Bolton, a, a law that went alongside it on that same day, legalizing abortion. Nor did they anticipate that the March for Life would become the longest human rights demonstration, longest, largest human rights demonstration in the world. Jeez. I mean, I think there's so many pieces of that, of what you just said, that is really unknown today. I think we all are aware of the year of 1973. And I think people just think, well, that's just when they made abortion legal. But like, like you, like you were just saying, they, you know, the court acted outside of its scope, its purpose. Absolutely. And everyone on the left and on the right would agree that that was what was happening. And in fact, today, many legal scholars believe that were Roe to be challenged, that depending on the makeup of the Supreme Court, we're in a time right now where that could change very quickly, but that Roe and a so-called right to abortion would actually find firmer legal standing because right now its standing is quite shaky. Even though if you ask the average American what they think about Roe, you know, they're going to say they think it, it should be, unfortunately. But the truth of the matter is that anyone knows, who knows anything about the legalities of it knows that it's standing on very shaky legal ground. So why is it standing on shaky legal grounds? I mean, is there like a quick, a quick <laughs> synopsis you could give on that? I mean, I think it's because of the political sort of side of it, where abortion has become so acceptable in our culture. And that, that's just terribly unfortunate because what we're talking about here is the taking of the life of an unborn child. And yet our culture has gotten so kind of steep and it's become so normalized that to ask anyone really today, what would happen if Roe were corrected, if Roe were reversed? It's like they think that the world is going to come falling apart in a way. So I think that a lot of it just has to do with our misunderstanding of abortion and quote unquote, rights to abortion, which, of course, always trump the right of a child, by the way, that's growing in the womb. Right. So with Roe v. Wade, it made the federal government made a stance and a decision that affected all 50 states. And so part of the pro-life movement and tell me if I'm incorrect or whatever, but is the goal is to get that reversed so that each state can make their own decision about abortion. Is that correct? Yes. Although that's it's a great question, Leah. So our goal is first and foremost to change hearts and minds so that abortion becomes unthinkable in the culture. And, you know, you'll hear these terms thrown around a lot, but I feel like living here in D.C. where we're steeped in public policy and legislation and politics and all of this, it's really true where culture is upstream of politics. So it's more important to, you know, that hearts and minds are changed, that people believe that something's right before legislatively it happens. And yet the two go hand in glove. You can't have one without the other. But a great, there's a phenomenal book about this called After the Ball. And it's written about same-sex marriage, which I'm not in favor of at all. But it goes to show how culture really is upstream in politics and things like TV and religious figures and sports figures and, you know, all of this has an influence in sort of average America and in, and in people's hearts and minds and in public opinion. 
And that that ultimately impacts legislation. And that's kind of how it flows. And yet there's the other side of things that people often think that if something's legal, that it's ethical. And that's not always the case. I mean, you can consider, of course, slavery was legal for many years, but was it ethical? No. Um, And abortion, of course, is legal, but it's not ethical. So I'm kind of, you know, going on there a little bit about some of the legalities of it. But so our goal is, yes, to change hearts and minds first. And then we do hope, Leah, that the Supreme Court makeup will change soon. I mean, with a Trump presidency, and I know that everybody had a lot of questions about Trump, and even now there are some different questions. But when you look at it just from the lens of pro-life public policy, he's done a really good job with personnel and with different policy enactments and what have you. And hopefully, with hopefully, you know, fingers crossed with a second Supreme Court judge that will be pro-life. And so then Yes, it's possible that the question of the legalities of abortion could return to the states. And that's what we would anticipate. That was a long-winded answer. Sorry, Leah. (laughs) No, it was great. It's so good. I I think it's good that you just take the time to kind of, that we take the time to talk through some of these issues and kind of where everything started, how it's going on currently today within our government, within our country of what's going on with abortion, because because I think that there's, there's a lot of misconception and then people just don't know. And sometimes when we don't know, we get scared to ask those questions because we feel silly or something. So that's why I'm here to ask the silly questions to make sure we all can be more in the know. Now, okay, so the March for Life has been going on for 45 years. Every year for 45 years, definitely in D.C., there is the official March for Life that goes on where it started with, as you said, 2000 people. And now what were your numbers for this past year for the 45th anniversary? So we don't get an official crowd estimate, but we can, you know, check with things like bus passes and metro around here, public transportation. And so we estimate that there were about 100,000 people. And on average, that's what we estimate, which is shocking when you consider that's 45 years strong. It's it's just really remarkable. Right. And these are and most of these are not locals. These are people who are traveling all over the country to come to the official March for Life in D.C., Absolutely. There are some amazing stories about people making pilgrimages to the March for Life. And so that means they might be on a bus coming from Louisiana, leaving, you know, at two in the morning to get there in time for the march. Or maybe they're coming from North Dakota. The school that led the march last year was University of Mary in North Dakota. And they traveled, oh my gosh, something like 30 hours on buses to come. And on the way home, there was a terrible blizzard. And they got stuck for hours on the New Jersey Turnpike and actually did like a mass with a snow altar and all sorts of neat things. But yes, people come from all over the country and even really all over the world to come to the March for Life. Yeah, it's amazing. Quick shout out to the University of Mary. I have a special place in my heart for that place in particular. I've been there to speak and to visit. I've got some friends who live there and who teach there at the University of Mary. And what a great, great campus it is. So shout out to... University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. But okay, so this year, this past year for the 45th anniversary, you had some pretty, well, for the first time ever, you had the president speak. We did. We did. I mean, it was really something else. I mean, for a whole host of reasons, but we had number one, number two, and number three. When you consider the government and the leadership that is is really leading the free world, we had the president of the United States make an address from the Rose Garden, which was totally significant, in my opinion, because the logo for the March for Life has always been a rose symbolizing the beauty of life. And early in the history of the March for Life, roses were delivered to members of Congress 
who disagreed with us on this issue to ask them to consider the beauty of life and the dignity of the human person. So we had the president speaking from the Rose Garden, the vice president of, of the United States speaking from the Rose Garden, and then the speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, speaking from the actual rally. So it was remarkable. And it's my understanding that the three of them have never spoken together at the same event. So that was a first time. Very, very exciting. Then we had some non-legislative and non-political speakers who were just phenomenal. And I could run through that list if you're interested. Yeah. I mean, I when I was looking on the website, and of course, I was looking to see what was going on um, this past January 2018 for this March for Life. Obviously, you, you have the big ones, you know, like, like you just said, you got Trump, you got Pence, you got Paul Ryan. And then you also have, though, Pam Tebow, mother of Tim Tebow, who that whole family is so adamantly pro-life and it's so beautiful how they speak about it. So how is that with Pam being with you? Oh, it was incredible. And I got to spend quite a bit of time with Pam. We had an event the night before and she came with us and, and traveled back with us to the hotel. And it just seems like every time I turned around, Pam was very close by. So it, that's not often the case. And it was just such a gift to get to know her a little bit more. And she's a beautiful, beautiful woman inside and out. I mean, she's got this beautiful soul and she uses the term God stories, you know, a lot because everything is a God story because she sees everything through the lens of the supernatural. And she truly is just a remarkable woman of God. And to be willing to share, you know, really on the world stage, the story of Timmy, as she would say, they call him Timmy, was just remarkable. So that that was incredible. We also had one of my favorites, Sister Bethany Madonna from the Sisters of Life. Yes. And she, wasn't she fantastic? She's such a great speaker, totally inspired by God and also so fun to work with. I mean, she just exudes joy. And when you're working with the leader of the free world over um, about a mile away at the Rose Garden and there's different you know, questions about timing and what have you. Sister Bethany Madonna was phenomenal. She could go an extra few minutes or <laughs> roll it back a few minutes. I mean, she was incredible and so flexible and so just open to the Holy Spirit. She was great. We always have a student. So it's a real honor for the schools that come from all over the country to lead the March for Life. They carry the banner. One year we'll have a high school. The next year we have a college that's doing it. And then alternately, we've got a group of students that are carrying flags right behind them. So we always have one of the students speak and they typically are, you know, the fa one of the favorite speakers because so many of our participants are young people. So this year we had Agnes and she came to us from Alabama and she grew up in Montgomery, Alabama and tied in, you know, the civil rights history of Montgomery into the civil rights abuse of abortion. And that was incredible. We also had Matt Burke, former NFL player, and he works for the NFL now and his wife, Adriana, and they've they have a beautiful, big Catholic family, and they've recently adopted in the last three or four years, they've adopted two more children. And they're just so, so incredible and, and really luminaries in the pro-life world. So and a few others, but it was a great lineup. Yeah, absolutely. When I saw the lineup, I just thought, geez, this is <laughs> there. It's getting good. I mean, it's always <laughs> been good, I will admit. But wow, it just seems like at this point, Maybe in political culture, I don't know what it might be, but something seems to be stirring up a little bit more to kind of put some more pressure on bringing this issue to be more aware to people. I mean, just that we're not going away. It's been 45 years. And if it takes 45 more, all of us would say, yes, that's fine. Then we'll continue to march 45 more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, one of the most beautiful things about the March for Life is that it's primarily young people that are participating. 
I'd say a good 85% are 25 or under. And it's so, gosh, it's so edifying to Washingtonians to see the young people. And it's like participating in the March for Life itself is kind of a convicting and, and converting experience. Your heart is changed just by participating in it. And part of that is just, you know, the sheer number of people that are there. Part of it is the witness of the speakers, but just again, the young people and their joy and their enthusiasm. And there's this fantastic story of the head of NARAL Pro-Choice America. We were talking earlier a little bit about the history of legalized abortion in the United States and NARAL is an organization that really was behind, they were like considered the legal architects of legalized abortion in America. And so the head of NARAL Pro-Choice America came out around lunchtime for a meeting that she had. And she was, you know, their offices are here in DC and saw all of the young people at the March for Life. And she was overwhelmed by it. And she went back and made a decision that afternoon that she was going to resign from her position because she believed that they were not recruiting young people like like we were, which is true. But what I would have loved to have been able to talk with her about was that it wasn't their marketing that was flawed. It's the product that they were trying to sell that's flawed. And young people can see the truth, you know, and they're attracted to the truth and goodness. And they know that life is, you know, the most important issue today. Well, if you like fashion, gourmet food and your faith, you need to know that I am leading a theology of beauty pilgrimage to Italy. This July 2018 with Father Leo Paddlinghug, the famous cooking priest. We'll be heading out there July 7th through the 16th. And there are, uh, there are still a few seats available, but I can't guarantee how long they're going to last. So you want to book it now. We will be heading up some amazing cities such as Milan, Turin, Venice, and of course, Roma. A pilgrimage is so much more than a vacation. It's really a time to unplug and reconnect to your faith and the people around you. It's a wonderful experience. You can find out every detail and the itinerary at my website, leadero.com slash pilgrimage. Grab your spot now before it sells out and I'll see you in Italy. So, you know, let me just take that and ask you about a few other things that happened right around the same time, close to these past few months here of what's going on at the beginning of, of this year of 2018. So the right to life, the most important right that every human has. The March for Life, the largest march in the country, as you said, this is now being kind of faced and stacked up against these other two marches that have recently come to play. One is the Women's March. And then this other march that's just recently pulled up is the March for Our Lives. Can you, I mean, to me, I just see the irony of what's going on where you have these, you have the March for Life and then you have these other two marches, the Women's March, which is really not a Women's March. It's a march for a certain type of woman with a certain type of ideology, um, a certain type of philosophy, a certain type of political stance, and they don't really want to accept anybody else. So it's not, they're, they're definitely not for all women for the record. And then you have the March for Our Lives, which has just now kind of come up in response to, I guess, school safety or, or gun laws that are combined in there as well. 
But it's funny how these marches are happening around the same time as the March for Life. And we're like, (laughs) I'm sure and you and your office are seeing the irony of like what's happening of how they're not seeing that their foundation is based on what we have been marching for for 45 years. Right. Right. Okay. So there's, gosh, I'm thinking of so many things as, as you're asking your questions. So let me, let me try to, to, to address a few things there. So the women's march, I've got a little more experience with that one than the march for our lives, which I think if I'm following this correctly, it hasn't quite happened yet, but I, I'm not totally sure about that. But let me, let me start with the women's march. So I can remember last year as we were heading into, so 2017, heading into the, that march, hearing about the Women's March. And it was really shocking because, you know, I'm pro-woman. I mean, in some ways, I consider myself in some ways a pro-life feminist. But at the very least, I consider, you know, I love the beautiful church's teachings on women that teaches that we're inherently different than men, but equal in dignity. And that's, you know, so misunderstood. And so there were some things about the Women's March that I personally could get behind, you know, equal pay for equal work, obviously any kind of anti-sex discrimination, anti-sex trafficking, you know, great maternal leave policies, things like this. But what was shocking is that when it came down to their platform of what they stood for, the only thing that they drew a line in the sand about was the life issue. And if you were pro-life, you could not be part of that march. And it was really sad to me because that that does such a disservice to especially to young women who are really trying to figure out their vocation and what it means to be a woman and what have you. So and then when it actually came down to the day of the Women's March, which was about I think it was six days before the March for Life that year, there couldn't have been a more marked difference between that march and the March for Life. And, And so part of it is that, well, first of all, I mean, it was an older bunch. I mean. You know, most of these women that attended were in their 50s, 60s or so, at least in D.C., that was the case. Also, they were extremely negative. And I mean, the whole thing was negative and really crass, as we know, with the hats and the different things. But even some of their speakers were promoting violence. And so, I mean, you know, the March for Life, our only line in the sand for participants is that we are an anti-violent march and that you cannot promote violence. But they had speakers from their stage that were threatening to blow up houses, you know, much less the White House. You'll never hear a marcher talk about any kind of blowing up anyone. I mean, because that's the whole point is that abortion is violence in the womb. And so we are an anti-violent march. But so we're much more youthful. We're much more positive. 45 years strong. We're like the mailman where there are rains, late snow, shine. I mean, the blizzard of 2016, which brought in like 36 inches to DC, we were still there marching, you know? And so, gosh, there couldn't, they couldn't be sort of further from each other in differentiation and, and especially just in the positive, hopeful, joyful spirit of the marchers. Now, the march to save our lives, the sort of anti, well, the gun sort of policy march, what I can speak to on that is just, I heard, you know, very early on that George and Amal Clooney had given like half a million or um, yeah, half a million dollars to help that march. And so that's another thing is we are a modest nonprofit and we're really run on, I would say, not exactly a shoestring budget, but but almost a shoestring budget. I mean, we're we're a staff of five and a half, six, uh, one that the six is a part timer. 
And, you know, it, I, boy, I can't tell you how much I would love to have half a million dollars to run our March. I mean, that would be really, really incredible. And I know that was just one donation that they got. And so anyways, so, and we'll have to see how that plays out. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, you're right. The March for Our Lives, which is this march that they're going to take to the streets of D.C., they say on their website, March 24th, 2018. And they're they're there to end gun violence and the mass shootings in our schools, which great. I mean, I think that that needs to be addressed, too. But I think what, what we were talking about is just the irony of kind of these different marches not coming together underneath the one march, the March for Life, that, as we said before, is the foundation of <laughs> of everything else. Going yeah. back to the Women's March, uh, I, like you, was just, there's parts of it where I was like, yes, this is great. I'm happy that they're coming together as women and they're talking about some of these issues. And then, like you said, they just drew the line in the sand of like, yeah, but if you're pro-life, no, because right. that's somehow not a part of the Women's March. And when the march actually happened, and I was watching it just, you know, from my house, just seeing it on TV and seeing the clips and seeing the videos posted on social media from from women that were there participating, to me, it just looked like a really chaotic bachelorette party. I mean, (laughs) it was really poorly done. Like you said, it was crass. It was just, it was gross. And to me, it was really sad. The very, very few young, 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 young girls that were there holding up signs that were just really disturbing. I mean, in any other situation, you'd think this is almost borders on abuse. Like, like what is going on? Like, this seems to be a little bit much. I mean, we want to protect our kids from pornography, but it clearly is no problem if you have pieces of that in a women's march because you're somehow touting liberation. So yeah, it could not be more different completely. It's just so ironic that it's there happening, of course, right around the same time for the March for Life. But praise God, the March for Life is always there and will always be there until we don't need you anymore, which I know you're hoping hope is going to be someday soon. But we do. We talk about working ourselves out of a job, you know, I mean, around here. But yeah, I, Leah, I remember well the day of the Women's March last year, and I had, I'd made the decision and had prayed about it that I wasn't going to watch anything. I was just going to kind of protect my mind and heart because I had to worry about the march, you know, for life in five days and, and needed to think about that. But I did run to the dry cleaners that day and they had the TV on, and it was the one point where Cecile Richards, the president of Planned Parenthood, was speaking. And she had a woman who had a dress on that had the word abortion written all over it. And she grabbed the mic and said, I love abortion. And I just, I'm sitting there praying, thinking, oh, the depravity right now. And it's, uh, women deserve so much more, so much better. And it does such a disservice to women to sell this to them, to make them think that this is going to make life better, more fulfilling. I mean, anything. I mean, abortion impacts women. I love Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta had a beautiful quote where abortion is profoundly anti-women. All of the mothers and half of the babies are victims as women. And of course, we know the little boys as well, but it's so anti-woman. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, I I know we could go on forever on this piece, but it does this, I like just hearing Cecile say that, and I, I heard the same thing, hearing her say, I love abortion. That clip is just, it is, it gives chills down your spine. You're just sitting there thinking, you have been lied to your whole life, Cecile. 
and you are leading a, a march of lies, a life of lies. And that, and that's abortion is a part of a mentality and a lifestyle that is definitely being sold to all women as early as possible as this is some type of liberation. This is some type of like feminist ideology that's going to make you better than men and better than anybody else because for some reason you're a woman and somehow just being a woman makes you better than ever everybody according to them yeah and and it's just it's just wrong on so many levels and just to hear that come out of our mouth i know it just made you uh it just made you sick to your stomach but so with all of these things going on, and I, I was just wondering too, because I find it ironic that like, of course, I mean, and I didn't think they were going to extend to you like a, hey, come on, Jeannie, why don't you come on and be a part of the Women's March? But right. I find it ironic because you are obviously a woman, you're a mother, you are the president of the March for Life, you're holding a CEO type of position that is constantly being talked about of how like, why are there not more women in these roles and blah, blah, blah. And that's a whole other topic that I definitely have opinions for, but I'll save them for later. And here you are a woman leader. And (laughs) and I just think it's funny that like, they only want some women leaders, not all women leaders, right? Absolutely. And I didn't, you know, apply to be a sponsor or co-sponsor, but groups like Abby Johnson's group, and then there were none. And the New Wave Feminists, different groups like that applied to be sponsors. And they were, in fact, there were some that were actually accepted and then they were rescinded. So, I mean, it's, it's so sad. But the flip side is, you know, gosh, we're so blessed in the church with a beautiful understanding of the theology of the body and a beautiful understanding of women. And our culture is so confused about a woman's capacity for motherhood and how it's so inherent to who she is as a person. She's not defined by it per se, but it very much does have to do with who she is. I mean, we're even told that in heaven, that will still be male and female, that, that, that it's ontological. It's a huge part of our personhood. And I find that just so beautiful. And it's really the antidote to all of this misinformation about what it means to be a woman in our culture today. Absolutely. And and it's really, I think, part of the March for Life, at least that's how I've always taken it as such, helps to elevate the role of mom, of mother. I mean, that's part of the problem with with the culture of death is that they have decided that due to a lot of different people and their philosophies, Betty Friedman from a long time ago, I mean, lots of people who've kind of tried to put this out there, that motherhood is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Right. And so if if motherhood is this drowning state of depressive, of depressing life, then obviously you want the choice to not be a mother. You want the right to kill your baby through abortion, because then that would free you from this vocation, this role that supposedly is wrong. But what the March for Life does and what I love about that so much is that they you honor women so much and and you're always there helping women as well. Not obviously the baby in the womb, but the mom too. And that's what we need to do. Like that's part of the message of the pro-life movement is to let young women know like if you dream, if your dream is to be a mother, that's a good dream. That does not mean that you're less than. That does not mean that that you've chosen something that's not going to be, you know, successful or that's not going to bring you happiness. Like those are good things to hold on to. And that's a God given gift for those who can recognize that and then seek to live their life in a way to fulfill that according to God's love and God's law. I could not agree more. I mean, I, I could not agree more. And I'd even, 
I don't know if it's taking it a step further, but even point out that for those who are not, who have not biologically been given the gift to be a mom, their capacity for motherhood still informs who they are as a person. And Edith Stein, I'm, I'm forgetting her religious name right now, her saint, but I think it's, but anyway, she's written the, the collection of essays, women, and it's phenomenal and goes into in her profession, how that woman carries her person orientedness with her, you know, philosophically, the fact that I am a woman is very different than being a man. And it's very much person centered. It's being sensitive to others, you know, and so anyways, there's, that's, I think that that theology and philosophy is so rich and it's really what our culture needs today. Amen. I think it's St. Benedict of the Cross, right? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No problem. And speaking on top of that, though, it makes sense. And I, I've, I've said this many times for, for you listening to the podcast. If you've heard me talk, then you're gonna be like, oh, I know what Lee's going to say. But I tell women all this. I'm like, look, our biology, of just the woman, our biology speaks of theology. We were born with a womb. We were born for another. And of course, when we talk about the theology of that, we, we, we have been made for God, right? We have been made out of his love. And then obviously, for some of us, we are called to actually bear fruit in our womb, to have children. But regardless if you are a mother in the physical sense, or if you're a mother in another sense, a spiritual sense, or you nurture other children, you take care of them, we have been made. Our biology speaks to this. It says, I've been made for someone else. And that's why I think women especially and the pro-life movement need to be up there, need to be leading the cause. Men too, don't get me wrong, completely agree that they need to be a part of this 100%. But there's something unique about women in the pro-life movement that we need to continue to make sure that our voices are loud and are heard. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that when a woman, there's something about a pro-life woman, for the most part, that we've got a lot of joy about us and a lot of peace about who we are as people and just a deep sense of fulfillment, not, you know, across the board, but there's, I totally agree that we need role models and figureheads of women who exude that because young women long for that. They long for that joy. They long for that fulfillment that they can only find in Christ and in being who they are, you know, be who you are and you'll set the world on fire. We know from St. Catherine of Siena and we need women to be women in <laughs> our culture needs us, our culture really desperately needs women to be women. Amen. Oh, I get so excited when you say it. I'm like, yes, 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 absolutely. We really do. And there are there are plenty of young women. I have met them in my travels. I know they're out there. I have talked to them throughout social media and in person. There are plenty of women who are behind this cause. And we just need to continue to support them and encourage them to continue on it. Now, within the March for Life, what are some current gains that you see happening in the pro-life arena and in particular, maybe with the March for Life? Great, great question. So I think in many ways, we're making tremendous gains. So one of them in particular is pregnancy care centers around the country. So if you look back in the years following the legalization of abortion, in the early 1990s, there were something like 500 or 600 they were called then crisis pregnancy centers. We now call them pregnancy care centers. And the reverse is that there were something like 2,000 abortion clinics, maybe just under 2,000 abortion clinics. Now, today, there are over 2,500 pregnancy care centers around the country, and there are 
just about 700 abortion clinics around the country. So that's, that's one major gain. Another is that every year we're seeing the number of abortions downtick a little bit, and then the actual abortion ratio also downtick. So that's great. We also have... Now, hold on a second, Jeannie. What's the abortion ratio? So one is when you're actually analyzing like per 1,000 women, and then one is the actual number of abortions. So it's like, you know, one is the percentage of women when you're looking at all women that are getting abortions. So that's going down. They're both going down. And then the actual number of abortions that happen in our country every year is also going down. I can tell you, if you want to read more about this, check out the Heritage Foundation. And they do all sorts of great, you know, they've got great resources to understand a little bit more about this. But I will say this, Leah, so I'm talking statistics a little bit. We're still talking nearly a million abortions every year. And so it's hard to talk about making strides when the reality is that we have our work cut out for us. I mean, we've lost 60 million Americans to abortion since Roe, since Roe began in 1973. And it's just breathtaking, you know, in in the most negative kind of way. I mean, we are living in a culture of death. And Many women carry the wounds of having chosen abortion. And I should say, on a podcast like this, it's very possible that someone is listening who's been involved in abortion, and there's always hope and healing. There's always, always opportunity for hope and healing in Christ. And there are some wonderful organizations out there that are doing some fantastic retreats and helps for women who have been involved in an abortion decision and deeply regret it. So, so another positive is that we've had hundreds of state laws enacted that limit abortion. We'd call them incremental laws. So these are things like informed consent um, so that a woman knows about the development of her child or she knows what abortion pills are going to do to her, et cetera, or parental consent and notification and things like that. So we've had hundreds of those laws enacted around the states. So we've had lots of gains. We still have our work cut out for us. I mean, big, big time. So One other statistic just to throw out there that is always just heart-wrenching to me is we have in our country every year about 20,000 infant adoptions, and we have almost a million abortions. So there's such a a disparity between those two. And I really, really, really wish that, that we could do our work as a culture to get women to choose adoption more often. It's noble, it's sacrificial, and I wish that we could have women choose adoption more often when they're facing an unexpected pregnancy. Absolutely. And we, we, we are planning on doing another podcast on actually adoption and some of the the beauty of it and also the challenges of it as well, of ma- making that more accessible for families who want to adopt. Um, for some reason, our country makes it almost, it makes it harder to adopt a child and makes it easier to abort a child. Very much so. I mean, the laws really need to be changed so that it's it's easier. It's still protective of the child, but easier on the families who want to adopt. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, and just to go back here of what you said, Jeannie, because I, I think it is important that it's obviously very, very possible considering the reach of this podcast and praise God for that, that one of, one of you ladies listening um, has had an abortion or you've been involved in that in some capacity. And so your pain is real. And I just want to make sure that you know that as you listen to Jeannie and I in this conversation, that we're not just like passing over that, but there is healing available. I know that you want that. I know sometimes it's scary to kind of reach out and actually say something. Rachelsvineyard.org is a great place to start where you could just pull it up on your phone or your desktop 
whatever that might be, and take a step to to reach out for some hope and some healing after an abortion and to get a perspective that does not just want to talk about how you feel, but also your soul and your spiritual health too, and the toll that it takes on that. So we'll add that link in the show notes too that you can quickly click on it if it's something that you're interested in or if it's something that you're interested in into donating your time and your talent. That's a particular place where God's called you with the talent to help women in those cases, then you can reach out to Rachel's Vineyard as well and get involved in that piece of the pro-life movement too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. All right. So Jeannie, I, I mean, we're just going to have to have you on again because there's so much more that I want to talk to you about, but we, we probably should wrap up. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So now next year, 2019 and 2020, 2020 and 2019, you have those future dates for the March for Life already set on your website for 2019. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's Friday, January 18th, correct? Right. Right. That's correct. Okay. And then in 2020, it's going to be Friday, January 24th. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So mark your calendars. I already actually have them in mine. I go through and I put the March for Life in there as soon as the marchforlife.org website posts them for the future dates so that I know when that's at so I can make sure that if I, if I am, I haven't been able to attend actually the past four years because I keep having babies. So it's a good, it's a good excuse to not attend the March for Life because I'm having babies. But one of these days, me and my whole crew are coming out there and we're going to be out there marching. We Um, can't wait. (laughs) It's wonderful. I have participated in the March for Life a few times already in the past. I definitely been there in the past few um, before I started having babies. And it's been, I think you mentioned this like 30 minutes ago, but like it is a life changing experience. I have to admit, like, I lead pilgrimages myself. I lead them to Rome and all and Spain. I've been all around the world with all of that. And it's really fun to do that. And those are life-changing. But to be honest with you, one of the most life-changing things that you can experience right here in the United States is uh, getting on a bus and or however you get there and, and getting into the March for Life and marching. Marching in solidarity with people who, you know, maybe share your faith, maybe they don't, but you all share the absolute passion and need to protect and defend those in the womb, the right to life within all of us. And there is something powerful when you stand with thousands of others and you walk and you make yourself known to the world, to your neighbors, to those people on the side of the march who might not agree. And you say, I stand for this. I stand for life. And even if it's something where you can walk with those people, And you can at least hold yourself accountable to God and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm here and I'm doing my part to to stand up for the life that you gave me, the life that you've given all people. That is a powerful, powerful moment, my friends. And if you can participate at your local march or the march in D.C., please do so and stand for something that matters. Stand for something that's really going to make an impact in your life and in the lives of others, especially those who can't speak for themselves. Jeannie, you've been amazing as always to talk to. So before we leave, I love to see if you could give us a challenge, if you could give our listeners a challenge of what to do with all this great information that we that yeah. you so far have, have put out. Absolutely. And it's been just such a delight talking to you, Leah. Thank you so much for having me on. But just two quick challenges. The first and most importantly is to pray because this is a spiritual battle. And sometimes 
discouragement can set in, but we know that the victory's already been won, and we know that this is all in God's hands, but we need to really pray. Pray every day for women who are facing an unexpected pregnancy and pray for hope and for healing for those who, who you know, are seeking that. The second thing is, of course, the mission of the March for Life is to take the voice of pro-life Americans to the public square. And as laity, we are called to impact the public square to reflect God's plan. And so what I'd like to ask your listeners to do is to get involved in our advocacy campaign, which in essence means that they are going to hear from us at least once a month about something that will influence the public square. So right after the March for Life, we were talking to our legislators about defunding Planned Parenthood, and we sent about 25,000 messages to Congress. And I can tell you, those messages make a huge difference for members of Congress and senators. So what I'm going to ask you to do is type in the word March, M-A-R-C-H, to the number 73075. Let me say that again, March, M-A-R-C-H, to the number 73075. And you'll quickly answer three questions and then you'll get linked up to our texting campaign and you'll be hearing from us even this afternoon on something that's happening in front of the Supreme Court tomorrow. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so, and I will add that in the show notes. So if you're driving or walking, whatever you're doing, obviously keep doing that. But it'll be in the show notes so you can make sure you do that. If you're not and you want to write that down again, you're going to text the word March, M-A-R-C-H, 73075, and you can get a part of that text campaign. That is a great, a great way to stay up on all of the details regarding the March for Life and regarding life issues in general. Now, there are, we'll add the websites to the show notes as well, but of course, marchforlife.org. And then the other website, which is so, so great to me that you guys have got this going on, is marchforlifeaction.org. Can you quickly just tell us the difference between that website and the other? I'd love to. So we have two organizations, a 501c3 nonprofit and a 501c4. And in order to legally lobby on the Hill, in other words, to to work to enact pro-life legislation, you need to work under the auspices of a 501c4 or another organization, a PAC or something like that. And so we do that to take the collective voice of the marchers to Capitol Hill every day of the year. And we aren't partisan, by the way. So we always try to get a pro-life Democrat um, as well. It's getting a little bit harder these days, but we actively take the voice day in and day out of the marchers to Capitol Hill. So that's what our action website is. Amen. And I'm on this website right now looking at it. That is great. There's polling data that you can pull off of. Oh, wow. There's just a lot of really good information, stuff about the press of what's in there. A really powerful video for you to watch. It's only about a minute long. Anyway, so marchforlifeaction.org. So if you're ready to get more involved, you need to visit these two sites uh, just so that you can keep yourself aware and then definitely get involved in that text campaign. Again, you just text March 73075 and you can be a part of getting and staying involved and being active in the pro-life arena. Jeannie, you are fantastic and wonderful. You're my hero. You are a strong woman, a strong pro-life mama, and I'm so proud to know you. Thank you for being a part of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Oh, likewise, Leah. It has been such a joy to interview with you, and thank you for everything you're doing. You're such a bright light in our culture today. Amen. We're all doing our part. We are all doing our part, and you need to do your part too. And I will end with the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, because you know I always do. Whatever you do today, make sure you do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And we'll talk to you soon. 